heaven. Point four, we show honor to our Heavenly Father by celebrating His praise. Let my mouth be filled with Thy praise and with Thy honor all the day. Psalm 71, 8. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne. Revelation 5, 13. Blessing God is honoring God. It lifts Him up in the eyes of others and spreads His fame and renown in the world. In this manner, the angels, the choirsters of heaven, are now honoring God. They trumpet forth His praise in prayer. We act like saints in praise like angels. Fifthly, we show honor to our Heavenly Father by suffering dishonor, yea, even death for His sake. Paul did bear in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus, Galatians 6.17. As they were the marks of honor to Him, so they were trophies of honor to the gospel. The honor which comes to God is not by bringing the outward pomp and glory to Him which we do to kings, but it comes in another way, by the suffering of His people, by which they let the world see what a good God they serve, and how they love Him, and will fight under His banner to the death. God is worthy of honor. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Psalm 104, verse 1. What are all His attributes but glorious beams shining from this sun. He deserves more honor than men or angels can give him. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Second Samuel 22, 4. He is worthy of honor. We often confer honor upon those that do not deserve it. To many noble persons who are sordid and vicious, we give titles of honor. They do not deserve honor, but God is worthy of honor. Blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Nehemiah 9.5 He is above all the acclamations and triumphs of the archangels. Oh, then let every true child of God honor his heavenly Father. Though the wicked dishonor him by their atrocious lives, let not his own children dishonor him. Sins in God's children are worse than in others. A fault in a stranger is not so much taken notice of as a fault in our own child. A spot in black cloth, not so much observed, but a spot in scarlet attracts everyone's eye. So a sin in the wicked is not so much wondered at. It is a spot in black. But a sin in a child of God? A spot in scarlet, which is more visible and brings odium and dishonor. Opprobrium upon the Lord and His gospel. The sins of God's own children go nearer to His heart. When the Lord saw it, He abhorred them because of the provoking of His sons and of His daughters. Deuteronomy 32:19. Oh, forbear doing anything that may reflect dishonor upon God. Will you disgrace your heavenly Father? Let not God complain of the provocations of his sons and daughters. Let him not cry out, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Isaiah 1, 2. Use to. Does God command us to honor father and mother? Then let children put this great duty in practice. Be living commentaries upon this commandment. Children, honor and reverence your parents. Not only obey their commands, but submit to their rebukes. You cannot honor your Father in heaven unless you honor your earthly parents. To deny obedience to parents entails God's judgments upon children. The eye that mocketh at his father and despiseth to obey his mother, the ravens of the valley shall pick it out, and the young eagles shall eat it. Proverbs 30:17. 
Eli's two disobedient sons were slain. 1 Samuel 4.11 God made a law that the rebellious son should be stoned. The same death the blasphemer had. Leviticus 24.14 If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city, and all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. Deuteronomy 21, 18, 19, and 21. A father having once complained, never had a father a worse son than I have. Yes, said the son, my grandfather had. This was a prodigy of impudence hardly to be paralleled. Manlius, when grown old and poor, had a son very rich, of whom he desired some food. But the son denied his father relief, yea, disowned him from being his father, and sent him away with reproachful language. The poor old father let it fall tears in grief. But God, to revenge the disobedience, struck the unnatural son with madness, of which he could never be cured. Disobedient children stand in a place where all God's arrows fly. Use 3. Let parents so act that they may gain honor from their children. Question. How should parents so act toward their children as to be honored and reverenced by them? Firstly, be careful to bring them up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. You conveyed the plague of sin to them. Therefore, endeavor to get them healed and sanctified from that plague. Augustine says that his mother Monica travailed more for his spiritual than his natural birth. Timothy's mother instructed him from a child, 2 Timothy 3.15, she not only gave him her breast milk, but the sincere milk of the word. Season your children with good principles betimes, that they may with Obadiah fear the Lord from their youth. 1 Kings 18.12 When parents instruct not their children... They seldom prove blessings. God often punishes the carelessness of parents with undutifulness in their children. It is not enough that your child is dedicated to God, but it must be educated for Him. Children are young plants which you must be continually watering with good instruction. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6 the more your children fear God, the more they will honor you. Secondly, if you would have your children honor you, keep up parental authority. Be kind, but do not spoil them. If you let them get too much ahead, they will contemn you instead of honoring you. The rod of discipline must not be withheld. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. Proverbs 23.14 a child indulged and humored in wickedness will be a thorn in the parent's eye. David spoiled Adonijah. His father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? 1 Kings 1, 6, 7, and 9. Afterwards he became a grief of heart to his father and was false to the crown. Keep up your authority, fathers, and you keep up your honor. Thirdly, provide for your children what is fitting, both in their childhood and when they come to maturity. The children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. 2 Corinthians 12:14. They are your own flesh, and as the apostle says, no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Ephesians 5:29. 
The parent's bountifulness will cause dutifulness in the child. If you pour water into a pump, the pump will send water again out freely. So if parents pour in something of their estate to their children, priming the pump, as it were, children worthy of the name will pour out obedience again to their parents. Fourthly, when your children are grown up, put them to some lawful calling, wherein they may serve their generation. It is good to consult the natural genius and inclination of a child, for forced callings do as ill sometimes as forced marriages. To let a child be out of his calling is to expose him to temptation. As it is said, idleness is the devil's playground. A child out of a calling is like fallow ground, and what can you expect should grow up but weeds of disobedience? Fifthly, act lovingly to your children. In all your counsels and commands, let them read love. Love will command honor. And how can a parent but love the child who is his living picture? Nay, part of himself, the child is the father in the second edition. Act prudently towards your children. It is a great point of prudence in a parent not to provoke his children to wrath. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Colossians 3, 21. Question, how may a parent provoke his children to wrath? Firstly, by giving them opprobrious names, verbal abuse. Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, said Saul to his son Jonathan. 1 Samuel 20, 30. Some parents use imprecations and curses to their children, which provoke them to wrath. Would you have God bless your children, and do you curse them? Secondly, parents provoke children to wrath when they strike them without a cause, or when the correction exceeds the fault. This is to be a tyrant rather than a father. Saul cast a javelin at his son to smite him, and his son was provoked to anger. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, 1 Samuel 20, 33 and 34. As it is said, a father exercises a kingly power over his son, not that of a tyrant. Thirdly, when parents deny their children what is absolutely needful, some have thus provoked their children, they have stinted them, and kept them so short that they have forced them upon indirect courses, and made them put forth their hands to iniquity. Fourthly, when parents act partially towards their children, showing more kindness to one than to another, though a parent may have a greater love to one child, yet discretion should lead him not to show more love to one than to another. Jacob showed more love to Joseph than to all his other children, which provoked the envy of his brethren. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, and when his brethren saw that, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Genesis 39, 3 and 4. Fifthly, when a parent does anything which is sordid and unworthy, which casts disgrace upon himself and his family, as to defraud or take a false oath, that provokes the child to wrath. As the child should honor his father, so the father should not dishonor the child. Sixthly, when parents lay commands upon their children which they cannot perform without wronging their consciences, Saul commanded his son Jonathan to bring David to him. Fetch him to me, for he shall surely die. 
1 Samuel 20:31. Jonathan could not do this with a good conscience, but was provoked to anger. Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, 1 Samuel 20:34. The reason why parents should show their prudence in not provoking their children to wrath is this, lest they be discouraged, Colossians 3:21. This word discouraged implies three things. Grief, the parents provoking the child, the child so takes it to heart that it causes premature death. Despondency, the parent's harshness dispirits the child and makes it unfit for service, like members of the body stupefied, which are unfit for work. Insubordination and stubbornness, the child being provoked by the cruel and unnatural carriage of the parent, grows desperate and often studies to irritate and vex his parents, which, though it be evil in the child, yet the parent is accessory to it, as being the occasion of it. Seventhly, if you would have honor from your children, pray much for them. Not only lay up a portion for them, but lay up a stock of prayer for them. Monica prayed much for her son Augustine, and it was said it was impossible that a son of so many prayers and tears should perish. Pray that your children may be preserved from the contagion of the times. Pray that your children bear your images in their faces, that they may bear God's image in their hearts. Pray that they may be instruments and vessels of glory. One fruit of prayer may be that the child will honor a praying parent. Eighthly, encourage that which you see good and commendable in your children. Encourage it. It is said goodness increases when praised. Commending that which is good in your children makes them more in love with virtuous actions, and it is like the watering of plants which makes them grow more. Some parents discourage the good they see in their children and so nip virtue in the bud and help to damn their children's souls. They have their children's curses. Ninthly, if you would have honor from your children, set them a good example. It makes children despise parents when the parents live in contradiction to their own precepts, when they bid their children be sober, yet they themselves get drunk, or bid their children fear God and are themselves loose in their lives. Oh, if you would have your children honor you, teach them by a holy example. A father is a mirror, which the child often dresses himself by. Let the glass be clear and not spotted. Parents, observe great decorum in your whole conduct, lest you give occasion to your children to say to you as Plato's servant, My master hath made a book against rash anger, but he himself is passionate. Or as a son once said to his father, If I have done evil, I have learned it of you. The Sixth Commandment, Exodus twenty thirteen, Thou shalt not kill. In this commandment a sin is forbidden, which is murder. Thou shalt not kill, and a duty implied, which is to preserve our own life and the life of others. The sin forbidden is murder. Thou shalt not kill. Here two things are to be understood, the not injuring another, and the not injuring ourselves. Firstly, the not injuring another. Point one, we must not injure another in his name. A good name is a precious balsam. It is a great cruelty to murder a man in his reputation, his name. We injure others in their name when we calumate and slander them. David complains, they laid to my charge things that I knew not, Psalm 35, 11. 
The primitive Christians were traduced for incest and killing their children, as Tertullian says. They charge us with infanticide and label us as incestuous. This is to behead others in their good name. It is an irreparable injury. No physician can heal the wounds of the tongue. Second, we must not injure another in his body. Life is the most precious thing, and God has set this commandment as a fence about life to preserve it. He made a statute which has never to this day been repealed. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. Genesis 9, 6. In the old law, if a man killed another unawares, he might take sanctuary, but... If he killed him willingly, murdered him, though he fled to the sanctuary, the holiness of the place would not defend him. If a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar, that he may die. Exodus 21:14. In the commandment thou shalt do no murder, all sins are forbidden which lead to it, and are the occasions of it. As firstly, unadvised anger. Anger boils in the veins and often produces murder. In their anger they slew a man, Genesis 49.6. Secondly, envy. Satan envied our first parents, the robe of innocence and the glory of paradise, and could not rest until he had procured their death. Joseph's brethren, because his father loved him and gave him a coat of diverse colors, envied him and took counsel to slay him. Genesis 37:20 Envy and murder are near kin therefore the apostle puts them together Galatians 5:21 envyings murders envy is a sin which breaks both tables at once it begins in discontent against god and ends in injury against man as we see in Cain Genesis 4:6 and 8 Envious Cain was first discontented with God, by which he broke the first table, and then fell out with his brother and slew Abel, and thus broke the second table. Anger is sometimes soon over, like fire kindled in straw, which is quickly out, but envy, deep-rooted, and will not quench its thirst without blood. Proverbs 27.4 Who is able to stand before envy? Thirdly, hatred. The Pharisees hated Christ because he excelled them in gifts and had more honor among the people than they. They never left him till they had nailed him to the cross and taken away his life. Hatred is a vermin which lives upon blood. Because thou hast had a perpetual hatred and hast shed the blood of the children of Israel. Ezekiel 35, 5. Haman hated Mordecai because he would not bow to him, and presently sought revenge by getting a bloody warrant sealed for the destruction of the whole race and seed of the Jews. Esther 3, 9. Hatred is ever cruel. All these sins are forbidden in this commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Question. How many ways is murder committed? We may be said to murder another twelve ways. One, with the hand, as Joab killed Abner and Amasa, he smote him in the fifth rib and shed out his bowels. Second Samuel twenty ten. Two, with the mind, malice is mental murder. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. First John three fifteen. To malign another and wish evil against him in your heart is murdering him. Three, with the tongue by speaking to the prejudice of another and causing him to be put 
to death. Thus the Jews killed the Lord of life when they inveighed against him and accused him falsely to Pilate. John 18.30 4. With the pen, thus David killed Uriah by writing to Joab to set Uriah in the forefront of the battle. 2 Samuel 11.15 Though the Ammonite's sword cut off Uriah, yet David's pen was the cause of his death. And therefore the Lord tells David by the prophet Nathan, Thou hast killed Uriah. 2 Samuel 12.9 5. By plotting another's death. Thus, though Jezebel did not lay her own hands upon Naboth, yet because she contrived his death and caused two false witnesses to swear against him and bring him within the compass of treason, she, Jezebel, was the murderer. 1 Kings 21, 9 and 10. 6. By putting poison into cups. Thus the wife of Commodus, the emperor, killed her husband by poisoning the wine which he drank. So many kill little children by medicines that cause those little children's deaths. 7. By witchcraft and sorcery, which were forbidden under the law, there shall not be found among you an enchanter, or a witch, or a consulter with familiar spirits. Deuteronomy 18.10.11 8. By having an intention to kill another, as Herod, under a pretense of worshipping Christ, would have killed him. Matthew 2, 8 and 13. So, when Saul made David go against the Philistines, he designed that the Philistines should have killed David. Saul said, Let not mine hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. 1 Samuel eighteen seventeen. Here was intentional murder, and it was in God's account as bad as actual murder. 9. By consenting to another's death, as Saul to the death of Stephen. I also was standing by and consenting unto his death, Acts 22.20. He that gives consent is accessory to the crime. 10. By not hindering the death of another when in your power. Pilate knew Christ was innocent. I find no fault in him, he said, but did not hinder his death. Therefore he was guilty. Washing his hands in water could not wash away the guilt of Christ's blood. 11. By unmercifulness, by taking away that which is necessary for the support of life, as to take away the tools or utensils by which a man gets his living. No man shall take the upper or the nether millstone to pledge, for he taketh a man's life. Deuteronomy 24, 6 or by not helping him when he's ready to perish. You may be the death of another as well by not helping him as by offering him violence. If you do not feed him that is starving, you kill him. How many are thus guilty of this breach of the commandment, Thou shalt not kill? And number twelve, by not executing the law upon capital offenders. A felon, having committed six murders, the judge may be said to be guilty of five of them because he did not execute the felon for his first murder. Question. What are the aggravations of this sin of murder? Firstly, to shed the blood of another causelessly aggravates the sin of murder, as to kill another in a humor or frolic. A bee will not sting unless provoked, but many, when not provoked, will take away the life of another. This makes the sin of blood more bloody. The less provocation to a sin, the greater that sin. 
Secondly, to shed the blood of another contrary to promise. Thus, after the princes of Israel had sworn to the Gibeonites that they should live, Saul slew them. Joshua 9.15 and 2 Samuel 21.1 Here were two sins bound together, perjury and murder. Thirdly, to take away the life of any public person enhances the murder, and makes it greater, as to kill a judge upon the bench because he represents the king's person. To murder a person whose office is sacred and comes on the king of heaven's embassage, the murdering of whom may be the murdering of many. Herod added this sin above all that he shut up John the Baptist in prison, much more to behead him in prison. Luke 3.20 to stain one's hands with royal blood. David's heart smote him because he did not cut off the lap of King Saul's garment. 1 Samuel 24.5 How would David's heart have smitten him if he had cut off Saul's head? Fourthly, to shed the blood of a near relation aggravates the murder and dyes it of a deeper crimson. For a son to kill his father is horrid. Parasides are monsters in nature. He who takes away his father's life, it is said, commits many sins in one. He is not guilty of murder only, but of disobedience, ingratitude, and diabolical cruelty. He who striketh his father or mother shall be surely put to death. Exodus 21.15 Then how many deaths is he worthy of that destroys his father or mother? Such a monster was the emperor Nero, who caused his own mother, Agrippina, to be slain. Fifthly, to shed the blood of any righteous person aggravates the sin, hereby justice is perverted. Such a person being innocent is unworthy of death. A saint being a public blessing lies in the breach to turn away wrath, so that to destroy him is to pull down the pillars of a nation. He is precious to God, Psalm 116.15. He is a member of Christ's body, therefore what injury is offered to him is done to God himself, Acts 9.4. Though, however, this commandment forbids private persons to shed the blood of another, unless in their own defense, yet such as are in office must punish public offenders, even with death, capital punishment. To kill an offender is not murder, but justice. A private person sins if he draws the sword. A public person sins if he puts up the sword. A magistrate ought not to let the sword of justice rust in its scabbard, as he should not let the sword be too sharp by severity, so neither should the edge of it be blunted by too much leniency. Neither does this commandment prohibit a just war. When men's sins grow ripe... And long plenty hath bred surfeit, God says, Sword go through the land, Ezekiel 14.17. He encouraged the war between the tribes of Israel and Benjamin. When the iniquity of the Amorites was full, he sent Israel to war against them, Judges 11.21. Use 1. It should be for a lamentation that this land is defiled with blood, Numbers 35-33. How common is this sin in this boasting age? Our sins are written in letters of blood. Some make no more of killing men than sheep. In thy skirts is found the blood of the poor innocents, Jeremiah 2-34. One reads it, 
And so in Hebrew, in thy wings is found the blood of innocence. It alludes to the birds of prey which stain their wings with the blood of other birds. May not our Lord justly take up a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because blood toucheth blood, Hosea 4.2. There are wholesale murders, and that which should increase our lamentation is that not only man's blood is shed among us, but Christ's blood, profane sinners, are said to crucify the Son of God afresh. Hebrews 6.6 6. They swear by His blood, first of all, and so, as it were, make His wounds bleed afresh. They crucify Christ in His members. Why persecutest thou me? Acts 9.4 The foot being trodden on, the head cries out. If it lay in their power, thirdly, were Christ alive on earth, they would nail Him again to the cross. Thus men crucify Christ afresh, and if man's blood so cries, how loud will Christ's blood cry against sinners? Second use, beware of having your hands imbrued in the blood of others. But such an one has wronged me by defamation or otherwise, and if I spill his blood, I shall but revenge my own quarrel. If he has done you wrong, go to the law. But take heed of shedding blood. What, because he has wronged you, will you therefore wrong God? It is not doing wrong to God to take his work on yourself. It is wrong. He has said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, Romans twelve nineteen. You would undertake to revenge yourself? Would be plaintiff and judge and executioner in yourself? This is a great wrong done to God, and he will not Hold you guiltless. To deter all from having their hands defiled with blood, consider what a sin murder is. It is, one, a God-affronting sin. It is a breach of His command and trampling upon His royal edict. It is a wrong offered to God's image. In the image of God made He man, Genesis 9, 6. It is tearing God's picture and breaking in pieces the king of heaven's broad seal. Man is the temple of God. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? 1 Corinthians 6.19 The manslayer destroys God's temple, and will God endure to be thus confronted by proud dust? Second, it is a crying sin. As it is said, the voice of blood cries to heaven. There are three sins in Scripture which are said to cry. Oppression, Psalm 12.5. Sodomy, Genesis 18.21. Bloodshed. This cries so loud that it drowns all the other cries. The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground, Genesis 4.10. Abel's blood had as many tongues as drops to cry aloud for vengeance. This sin of blood lay heavy on David's conscience, though he had sinned by adultery, yet... What he cried out for most was this crimson sin of blood. Deliver me from blood to guiltiness, O God. Psalm 51.14 Though the Lord visits for every sin, yet he will in a special manner make inquisition for blood. Psalm 9.12 If a beast killed a man, it was to be stoned, and its flesh was not to be eaten. Exodus 21.28 If God would have a beast stoned that killed a man which had not the use of reason to restrain it, much more will he be incensed against those who, against both reason and conscience, take away the life of a man. 
3. Murder is a diabolical sin. It makes a man the devil's firstborn, for he was a murderer from the beginning. John 8.44 By saying to our first parents, Ye shall not die, the devil brought death into the world. 4. It is a cursed sin. If there be a curse for him that smites his neighbor secretly, he is doubly cursed that kills him. Deuteronomy 27.24 The first man that was born was the first murderer. And now art thou cursed from the earth, Genesis 4.11. Cain was an excommunicated person, banished from the presence of God's public worship. God set a mark upon bloody Cain, Genesis 4.15. Some think that mark was a horror of mind, which above all sins accompanies the sin of blood. Others think it was a continual shaking and trembling in his flesh. He carried a curse along with him. Fifthly, it is a wrath-procuring sin, 2 Kings 24.4. It procures temporal judgments, phokos to get the empire, put to death all the sons of Mauritius the emperor, and then slew the emperor himself. But he was pursued by Priscus, his son-in-law, who cut off his ears and feet and then killed him. Charles the Ninth, who caused the massacre of so many Christians at Paris, died from blood issuing out of several parts of his body. Albonia killed a man and made of his skull a cup to drink in. His own wife soon afterwards caused him to be murdered in his bed. Vengeance as a bloodhound pursues the murderer. Bloody men shall not live out half their days, Psalm 55:23. It brings eternal judgments. It binds men over to hell. The papists make nothing of massacres because theirs is a bloody religion. They give a dispensation for murder. If it be to propagate the Catholic cause, if a cardinal puts his red hat upon the head of a murderer going to execution, he saves him from death. Let all impenitent murderers read their doom in Revelation 21.8. Murderers shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We read of fire mingled with blood in Revelation 8-7, such as have their hands full of blood, must undergo the wrath of God. Here is fire mingled with blood, and this fire is inextinguishable. Mark 9-44, time will not finish it, tears will not quench it. Point three, we must not injure another in his soul. This is the greatest murder of all, because there is more of God's image in the soul than in the body. Although the soul cannot be annihilated, it is said to be murdered when it is deprived of its happiness and is forever in torment. How many are soul murderers first, such as corrupt others by bad example? The world is led by example, especially by the examples of great ones, which are very pernicious we are apt to do as we see others before us, especially those above us, such as are placed in high power, are like the pillar of cloud, where that went, Israel went. When great ones move, others will follow them, though it be to hell. Evil magistrates, like the tail of the dragon, draw the third part of the stars with them. Second, such as entice others to sin, the harlot by curling her hair, rolling her eyes, laying open her breasts, does what in her lies to be both a tempter and a murderer. Such a one was Messalina, wife to Claudius the emperor. I discerned a young man, and there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot, so she caught him and kissed him. Proverbs 7, 7, 10, and 13. Better are the reproofs of a friend than the kisses of a harlot. 
Third ministers are murderers who either starve or poison or infect souls. First that starve souls. Feed the flock of God which is among you. First Peter 5, 2. These feed themselves and starve the flock either through non-reciting, they do not preach, or through insufficiency. They cannot. There are many in the ministry so ignorant that they had need to be taught the first principles of the oracles of God. Hebrews 5.12 Was he fit to be a preacher in Israel, think ye, who being asked something concerning the Decalogue, answered he never saw any such book? Second, the poison souls. Such are heterodox ministers who poison people with error. The basilisk poisons herbs and flowers by breathing on them, so the breath of heretical ministers poisons souls. The Socinian, who would rob Christ of his Godhead. The Arminian, who by advancing the power of the will would take off the crown from the head of free grace. The Antinomian, who denies the use of the moral law to a believer as if it were antiquated and out of date, poison men's souls. Error is as damnable as vice. There shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, denying the Lord that bought them. Second Peter 2, 1. Third, that infect souls by their scandalous lives. Let the priests which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves. Exodus 19:22. Ministers who by their places are nearer to God should be holier than others. The higher the elements are, the purer they are. Air is purer than water. Fire is purer than air. The higher men are in office, the holier they should be. John the Baptist was a shining lamp, but there are many who infect their people with their bad life. They preach one thing and live another. Qui curios stimulant e bacchanalia vivant. They make a show of goodness, but live a life of riot. Like Eli's sons, they are in white linen, but have scarlet sins. Some say that Prester John, the Lord of Africa, caused to be carried before him a golden cup full of dirt, a fit emblem of such ministers as have a golden office but are dirty and polluted in their lives. They are murderers, and the blood of souls will cry against them at the last day. Number four, such as destroy others by getting them into bad company, and so make them proselytes of the devil. As it is said, our vices leap on to the next man to us, Seneca. A man cannot live in the Ethiopian climate, but he will be discolored with the sun. Nor can he be in bad company, but he will partake of their evil. One drunkard makes another, as the prophet speaks in another sense. I set before them pots full of wine and cups, and said unto them, Drink ye wine. So the wicked set pots of wine before others, and made them drink till reason be stupefied and lust inflamed. Jeremiah 35.5 Such are guilty of the breach of this commandment. How sad will it be with those who have not only their own sins, but the blood of others to answer for. So much for the first thing forbidden in the commandment, the injuring of others. The second thing forbidden in this commandment is... Injuring ourselves, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt do no hurt to thyself. Thou shalt not hurt thy own body. One may be guilty of self-murder, either one, indirectly or occasionally, or two, directly and absolutely. One, indirectly and occasionally, as, first, when a man thrusts himself into danger which he might prevent, 
If a company of archers were shooting and one should put himself in the place where the arrows fly so that an arrow kills him, he is accessory to his own death. In the law, God would have the lepers shut up to keep others from being infected. Leviticus 13.4 If any should be so presumptuous as to go to a leper and get the plague of leprosy, he might thank himself for his own death. Second, a person may be guilty of his own death in some sense by neglecting the use of means for preserving life. If sick and he uses no remedy, if he has received a wound and will not apply a cure, he hastens his own death. God commanded Hezekiah to lay a lump of figs upon the boil, Isaiah 38.21. If he had not done so, he would have been the cause of his own death. Third, by immoderate grief, the sorrow of the world worketh death. Second Corinthians 7.10 When God takes away a dear relation, and anyone is swallowed up with sorrow, he endangers his life. How many weep themselves into their graves! Queen Mary grieved so excessively for the loss of Calais that it broke her heart. Fourth, by intemperance or excess in diet. Surfeiting shortens life. As it is said, more perish by drink than by the sword. Many dig their graves with their teeth. Too much oil chokes the lamp. The cup kills more than the cannon. Excessive drinking causes untimely death. Point two, one may be guilty of self-murder directly and absolutely. First, by envy. Envy is said to be a secret repining at the welfare of another. It's also said an envious man is more sorry at another's prosperity than at his own adversity. He never laughs, but when another weeps, envy is a self-murder, a fretting canker. Cyprian calls it a secret wound. It hurts a man's self-most. Envy corrodes the heart, dries up the blood, rots the bones. Envy is rottenness of the bones, Proverbs 14.30. Envy is to the body what the moth is to the cloth that eats it and makes its beauty consume. Envy drinks its own venom. The viper which leaped on Paul's hand thought to have hurt Paul, but fell into the fire itself, Acts 28.3. So, while the envious man thinks to hurt another... He destroys himself. Second, by laying violent hands on himself, and thus he commits suicide, as Saul fell upon his own sword and killed himself. It is the most unnatural and barbarous kind of murder for a man to butcher himself and imbrue his hands in his own blood. A man's self is most near to him. Therefore, this sin of self-murder breaks both the law of God and the bonds of nature. The Lord has placed the soul in the body as in a prison, and it is a sin to break open this prison till God opens the door. Self-murderers are worse than the brute creatures which will tear and gore open one another but not destroy themselves. Self-murder is occasioned usually by discontent and a sullen melancholy. The bird that beats itself in the cage and is ready to kill itself is a true emblem of a discontented spirit. Whence comes this discontent? This discontent arises, firstly, from pride. 
A man who swells with a high opinion of himself and thinks he deserves better than others when any great calamity befalls him is discontented and in a sudden passion will make away with himself. Ahithophel had high thoughts of himself, his words were esteemed oracles, and he could not bear to have his wise counsel rejected. He put his household in order and hanged himself, Second Samuel 17.23. Second, from poverty. Poverty is a sore temptation. Give me not poverty, Proverbs 30, verse 8. Many have brought themselves to poverty by their sin, and when a great estate is boiled away to nothing, they are discontented and think it better to die quickly than languish in misery, and the devil soon helps them to dispatch themselves. Three, from covetousness, avarice is a dry drunkenness, a horse-leech that is never satisfied. The covetous man is like behemoth, behold, he drinketh up a river, and yet his thirst is not allayed, Job 40.23. The covetous miser hoards up corn, and if he hears the price of corn begins to fall, he is troubled, and there is no cure for his discontent but a halter. Fourthly, from the horror of mind, a man has sinned a great sin, has swallowed down some pills of temptation the devil has given him, and these pills begin to work in his conscience, and the horror becomes so great that he chooses strangling. Judas, having betrayed innocent blood, was in such an agony of conscience that he hanged himself as if to avoid the stinging of a gnat anyone should endure the bite of a serpent. I can see no ground of hope for such as make away with themselves, for they die in the very act of sin, and cannot have time to repent. Hurting our own souls is forbidden in the command, Thou shalt not kill. Many who are free from other murderers are guilty here. They murder their own souls. They willfully damn themselves and throw themselves into hell. Question. Who are they that murder their own souls? One, they willfully murder their souls who have no sense of God or the world to come and are past feeling. Ephesians 4.19 Tell them of God's holiness and justice and they are not at all affected. They made their hearts as an adamant stone. Zechariah 12.12 The adamant, says Pliny, is insuperable. The hammer cannot conquer it. Sinners have adamantine hearts. When the prophet spake to the altar of stone, it rent asunder. But sinners' hearts are so hardened in sin, 1 Kings 13.5, nothing will work upon them, neither ordinances nor judgments. They do not believe in a God. They laugh at hell. Thus they murder their own souls and throw themselves into hell as fast as they can. Second, they willfully murder their own souls who resign themselves to their lust. Let what will come of it. The soul cries out in you, I am killing myself, I am murdering myself. They have given themselves over to work all uncleanness with greediness. Ephesians 4.19 Let ministers speak to them about their sins. Let conscience speak. Let affliction speak. They will have their lusts even though they go to hell for them. Do not these murder their own souls? As Agrippina, mother of Nero, said, Let my son kill me so he may reign. So many say in their hearts, Let our sins damn us so that they but please us. 
Herod will have his incestuous lusts, though it costs him his soul, and for a drop of pleasure men will drink a sea of wrath. Do not these massacre and damn their own souls? Thirdly, they murder their own souls to avoid all means of saving them. They will go to plays, to drunken meetings, theaters, taverns, but will not set their foot in God's house or come near the sound of the gospel trumpet, as if one that is diseased should shun the bath for fear of being healed. These are self-murderers as much as one who has the means of cure offered him, but chooses rather to die. For they voluntarily murder their souls who take false prejudices against religion, as if it were so strict and severe that they must live a melancholy life like hermits and anchorites and drown all their joys in tears. It is a slander which the devil casts upon religion, for there is no true joy but in believing. Romans 15.13 No honey is so sweet as that which drops from a promise. Some men foolishly take up a prejudice against religion. They are resolved never to go to heaven rather than go through the straight gate. I may say a prejudice as Paul to Elymas, O prejudice, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness. How many souls hast thou damned? Acts 13.10 5. They willfully murder their own souls who will neither be good themselves nor suffer others to be so. Ye neither go into the kingdom of heaven yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Matthew 23.13 Such are they who persecute others for their religion. Drunken meetings may escape punishments from them, but if men meet to serve God, all severity will be used. They are resolved to shipwreck others, though they themselves are cast away in the storm. Oh, take heed of murdering your own souls. No creature but man willingly kills itself. Point number three. The positive duty implied in the command is that we should do all the good we can to ourselves and others. Firstly, in reference to others, we should endeavor to preserve the lives and souls of others. Secondly, in reference to ourselves, we should preserve our own life and soul. Firstly, in reference to others, we are to preserve the life of others. We should comfort them in their sorrows, relieve them in their wants, and like the good Samaritan, pour wine and oil into their wounds. I was father to the poor, Job 29.16. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, verse 13. It is a great means of preserving the life of another to relieve him when he is ready to perish. When there was a great dearth in Rome, Pompey provided corn for its relief, and when the mariners were afraid to sail thither in a tempest, he said, It is not necessary that we should live, but it is necessary that Rome be relieved. Grace makes the heart tender. It causes sympathy and charity. As it melts the heart in contrition towards God, so in compassion towards others. He hath dispersed, he hath given to the poor, Psalm 112, verse 9. This commandment implies that we should be so far from ruining others that we should do all we can to preserve the lives of others. When you see the picture of death drawn in their faces, administer to their necessities, be temporal saviors to them, draw out of the waters of affliction with a silver cord of charity, that I may persuade you to this, let me lay before you some arguments. 1. Works of charity evidence grace. As faith I will show thee my faith 
by my works, James 2.18, works are faith's letters of credence. We judge of the health of the body by the pulse where the blood stirs and operates. So, Christian, judge of the health of thy faith by the pulse of charity. The word of God is the rule of faith, and good works are the witness of faith. It evidences also love. Love loves mercy. It is a noble, bountiful grace. Mary loved Christ, and how liberal was her love. She bestowed on Christ her tears, her kisses, and costly ointments. Love, like a full vessel, will have vent. It vents itself in acts of liberality. Second, to communicate the necessities of others is not left to our choice, but is an incumbent duty. Charge them that are rich in this world that they do good, that they be rich in good works. First Timothy six seventeen and 18. This is not only a counsel, but a charge. If God should lay a charge upon the inanimate creatures that they would obey, if he should charge the rocks, they would send forth water. If God should charge the clouds, they would melt into showers. If he should charge the stones, they would become bread. And shall we be harder than the stones not to obey God when he charges us to be rich in good works? Third, God supplies our wants, and shall not we supply the wants of others? We could not live without mercy. God makes every creature helpful to us, the sun to enrich us with its golden beams, the earth to yield us its increase, veins of gold, crops of corn, and store of flowers. God opens the treasury of his mercy. He feeds us every day out of the almsbasket of his providence. Thou openest thy hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. Psalm 145:16. Does God supply our wants, and shall we not minister to the wants of others? Shall we be as a sponge to suck in mercy, and not as breasts to milk it out to others? Fourthly, herein we resemble God to be doing good to others. It is our excellence to be like God. Godliness is Godlikeness. When are we more like him than in acts of bounty and munificence? Thou art good and doest good. Psalm 119.68 Thou art good. There is his essential goodness. And doest good. There is his communicative goodness. The more helpful we are to others, the more like we are to God. We cannot be like God in omniscience or in working miracles, but we may be like Him in doing works of mercy. Fifthly, God remembers all our deeds of charity and takes them kindly at our hands. God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love which ye have showed towards His name and that you have ministered to the saints. Hebrews 6 the chief butler may forget Joseph's kindness, but the Lord will not forget any kindness we show to his people. I was an hungered, and ye gave me meat. Thirsty, and ye gave me drink. Matthew twenty-five thirty-five. Christ takes the kindness done to his saints as done to himself. God has a bottle for your tears, and a book to write down your alms. A book of remembrance was written before him. Malachi 3.16 Tamerlane had a register to write down all the names and good services of his soldiers. So God has a book of remembrance to write down all your charitable works, and at the day of judgment there shall be an open and honorable mention made of them in the presence of the angels. 
This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.